Hi again, everyone. Thanks for joining us on LJN Radio. I'm Tim Muma, and this is Management Decisions. And for this episode, we're discussing leadership, a popular topic, of course. But we're also discussing the idea of titles and formalities that, well, truthfully, our guest says that real leaders, they couldn't care less about those types of things, and they shouldn't. His name is Dean Williams, and he teaches leadership at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. He's also the author of Leadership for a Fractured World. Dean, welcome to LJN Radio. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Good to be with you. Now, leadership is always a topic that uh, people are interested in. We have a lot of shows talking about that. We get questions about it. I want to start off by picking your brain and asking you, how do you view quality leadership? How would you define it if you had to? I distinguish between big man leadership and what I call real leadership Hmm. or change agent leadership. And I think given the problems we face today that are kind of interdependent challenges, we need to be focusing on change agent leadership, which can be exercised with or without authority. Hmm. And big man leadership focuses primarily on the boss as the leader, on uh, prominence, the positions of prominence and dominance, and also what I call tribalizing, which is advancing the interests of your group against others. So the traditional notions of leadership are somewhat antiquated for the challenges we face today. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there are some good things in those traditional notions, but they're insufficient in dealing with the uh, complex challenges that we face today. And how I define leadership is a little different from the traditional notion. The traditional notion looks at leadership as about getting people to follow you, taking people to a destination. I look at leadership as the activity of mobilizing people to face reality, to solve tough problems, and to create what is needed to generate progress. Is that something you are seeing as a change that's occurring? Do you think it's not happening quick enough? This idea of moving from the traditional idea of leadership, as you mentioned, the ideas of prominence and dominance, so to speak, to this more, I don't want to say casual look at it, but it's a little more laid back, a little more, as you said, a change agent versus this top down. Do you see that change happening or do you think it's not quite occurring as quickly as it needs to? It is happening and you're seeing it happening in businesses all around the world, or at least you are seeing the need for it. Mm -hmm. For example, I was in a company a week ago and this is a pharmaceutical company and they have gone from... uh, creating and distributing two big drugs and two uh, eight big drugs over a period of around two to three years. So this is transformational in terms of what's required to lead and run and manage a business. This is their challenge. They say, boy, we're pretty skilled at the old model of leadership and uh, the prominence and the dominance has kind of held people accountable. It's focused them on focused them on a critical set of issues, right. but it's now incomplete because these people have to work with so many different and diverse parts of the organization and be crossing all these boundaries, discipline and uh, engineering and structural and marketing boundaries in order to deal with the complexity of the challenges. So the implications for leadership are huge. You mentioned it there, the idea of crossing boundaries. Uh, You used the term diversity, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners hear a lot. How important is the idea of crossing boundaries and what, what is the value? How can a leader or a company start to do that and recognize that it's vital to learn how to cross a boundary in order to be successful in today's world? Yeah, you're not going to generate any meaningful or sustainable progress. You're not going to exercise any real leadership unless you can cross boundaries. Mm -hmm. Crossing boundaries is the new capacity 
that <laughs> leaders must master today. It's, it's so important. In the traditional way of looking at leadership, leadership took place within the boundary. The boundary, the cultural boundary, the structural boundary, the job boundary kind of provided the context in which kind of predictable work got done. But given the unpredictable nature of business and governance and all these social and, uh, and economic problems we face, you have to cross boundaries. You have to mobilize diverse factions, groups, networks to participate in the problem solving and uh, the creativity generation process. Is there a way a company can start to move in that direction? Maybe they have been pretty traditional and they've kind of been safe in that tribal area you kind of mentioned earlier. Is there any sort of example you can offer up or suggestion to at least begin that process? Does it start with hiring? Does it start with just branching out networking? I mean, how, what would you suggest for those that are listening? I don't want to take away from so many kind of great experiments that businesses are conducting that mm-hmm. are consi- consistent with what I'm saying. So it's not like, you know, I'm saying anything that's uh, revelatory on you from that point of view. Sure. Any CEO understands the importance of this. But the challenge is for a CEO to model this. Mm. Their preoccupation with prominence and dominance and, you know, I got the answer, I got the direction and right. uh, you better do what I say isn't going to generate the sustainable results that are critical. They have to cross boundaries. They have to get out of their 36th floor or whatever floor they live and work on these days and out of the clouds and onto the front lines. That's a way of crossing boundaries. Sure, They've got to get out and interact and connect with customers, suppliers, the universities where the research and new technologies are taking place, work with multiple cultural groups. These days, there's, uh, you know, many companies have offices all around the world. What does it mean culturally to cross boundaries and connect and to include these diverse voices in the problem-solving process? In another example, I recently met with some senior managers from a top software and computer company that I shall not name because everybody would know it, but it is a top one. And this company was struggling with the issue of crossing boundaries in terms of their their headquarters, their head office in the United States. It was really dismissing, marginalizing, refusing to include regional country offices in the problem-solving process and the strategy formulation process. These managers were telling me, you know, what do we do? It's like the Great Wall of China is kind of impeding uh, this capacity for the free flow of information. Hmm. And we have pieces of critical data that need to be included in the problem solving and the strategy formulation process. But uh, head office is very tribal, very American, very closed and protects its boundaries for whatever reasons, political reasons, or simply because they think they've got it figured out and others don't need to be included. But it has a detrimental impact on the overall culture of the company. I think those are two great examples. I do like what you said about, you know, if you're a CEO that you need to get sort of amongst the people and work with others, not just the ones that are on that top floor. And then also maybe those listening can recognize as you brought up there that, hey, we're kind of focused only on ourselves and not really letting these other ideas in. So I think two excellent examples for what we're talking about. What then is the difference between crossing those boundaries and as you labeled it in an article that you wrote, busting boundaries. Where is the differentiation when you're talking about those two? Crossing boundaries is the mobilization of diverse factions. Busting boundaries is the breaking down the barriers and the walls and what I call the maladaptive practices inside your own group. With globalization, 
it presents a whole set of complex challenges that we have to face. And if a business cannot face those challenges, or an educational system, school systems, for example, in this this country cannot face those challenges, you're not going to create the conditions that are going to allow you to compete successfully in the global marketplace. So internally, there's a whole set of what I call adaptive work, the modification of values, priorities, habits, practices. And if a group, by virtue of being tribal, persists in doing what it has always done, those boundaries need to be broken up. Those walls need to come down and the free flow of information needs to increase and the group needs to modify and shift its fundamental kind of sacred values that it believes are so essential to its well-being and to expand, modify or embrace new values in order to uh, deal with the complexity of the challenges we face today. So the busting boundaries is another kind of critical leadership capacity right? because the world is changing and companies have to expedite this kind of learning adaptive process or if they don't, they're going to be left behind. If they get left behind, you persist as a mediocre company or eventually you're going to collapse. And indeed, if you look at uh, the financial crisis of 2008, it kind of illustrates the need for busting boundaries. Take a great company as it was for a long time, Lehman Brothers, Mm. big investment bank, one of the biggest in the world. And then it actually kind of had uh, internally kind of a set of cultural practices that worked pretty well for a long time. But ultimately, because of their inability to make some swift changes in uh, strategy and direction and uh, this inability or unwillingness to make modifications in its culture, this company went over the edge. Right. And uh, it was putting out into the global marketplace, you know, this toxic product around derivatives where they were kind of buying and packaging this, uh, the, the subprime uh, mortgage into uh, a product that was essentially a hollow product and, uh, and people would kind of like a hot potato pay, pass it from one bank to another bank and uh, everybody made their cut along the way. And that hollow product was uh, a significant contributor to a kind of the breakdown of the international financial system. Now, why did a company like Lehman Brothers persist in doing that, even though internally there were voices that said, you know what, we've overextended ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're now pursuing a strategy that has the potential for negative consequences. So people could see down the horizon the possibility of the breakdown, but the culture was not conducive to a deeper exploration to make that mid-course correction. If leadership had been exercised to break up these maladaptive practices, to question the underlying assumptions around why we are doing what we are doing. If that had been done earlier, that company might still be around today. Wow, that sounds like a perfect illustration of what we're talking about. And do you think in a situation like that or in many of these circumstances where it sort of falls in on themselves, I mean, that kind of what it sounds like, is it just so difficult to see that happen from the inside that it's going to take somebody from the outside to come in and recognize or or see that or be able to be that voice that's separate? Or, or what would you say could be done if they are that far down the road like Lehman Brothers was? Yeah. And uh, it's funny with Lehman Brothers, you know, the, the CEO of Lehman Brothers, Richard Fult, had been CEO for 15 years and mm-hmm. he had actually done a pretty good job. But we all have a cognitive bias, kind of assumptions and beliefs around right. the way things should be done but probably deficient in some way or another. None of us are that smart, that wise, <laughs> and can read all the signs. So it's tough. So a lot of people need to be included in the problem-solving process. 
It's interesting with Richard Fuld at Lehman Brothers, he was out giving talks on leadership at Harvard Business School, at Wharton, and all these great schools, mm-hmm. only just three months before the crash. And his <laughs> principles were essentially, listen, you know, there should not be too much conflict in the management team. Ah. You know, once you agree on a strategy, stick with it. The art of leadership is motiva- motivating people to get done what you think needs to be done. Well, you know, they are the principles that ultimately contributed to the downfall of his company because kind of very limited, traditional, narrow view of leadership that was insufficient to deal with the complexity of the world that they were facing. So uh, you've got to include diverse voices in this problem-solving process, not only within the company, given this cognitive bias, cultural bias, a tribal bias, but you need to bring in very diverse views culturally, uh, ethnically, uh, in terms of disciplines, in, uh, in terms of the arts. This is what I call transcending boundaries. Right. Kind of, this is another aspect of the boundary work of leadership is about harnessing uh, the power of diversity for creative problem solving to deal with the complexity of the challenges that we face today. So are there any magic formulas or any suggestions that you would have? Because as you said, it's difficult to harness that power of diversity and to really incorporate everything into whether it's a goal or a mission or, or however you want to phrase it. Are there things you see that work, the examples that you would point to? Or what would you offer up to the listeners? Well, you're seeing it in many companies in Silicon Valley. Okay. I can think of obviously with Google, with Intel. Intel, for example, they've actually hired anthropologists wow. uh, to come in and to stimulate the creative process, not only internally in the company, but externally out in the marketplace to understand kind of the use of their technologies in the larger world. And all technology is an extension of this meaning-making process that anthropologists look at. Mm-hmm. And so it's the application of anthropology to understanding the nature of connection, the nature and function of these group uh, systems and their value to us. And so technology or a product exists in the context of a group of people's kind of meaning-making processes. So what does it mean and what gets generated by virtue of that product kind of landing into a social system at the micro level of family or at the more macro level of larger society? Boy, you know, that's a whole other way of looking at things rather (laughs) than the technocratic way that we've traditionally approached problem solving. And and in places like Intel, it seems to be working and it's quite extraordinary uh, what they are doing to harness the power of diversity. And places like Stanford, what they call the D school is great, where they're bringing it, the D school stands for the design school, although it's not really a design school per se, but they're taking Mm -hmm. the principles of design as it pertains to creativity and innovation and applying it to the uh, problem solving for social problems. And what they do is bring faculty and students from all sorts of disciplines together and using kind of their uh, methodology get these different disciplines banging up against one another to produce more uh, insightful, deeper, broader, innovative uh, solutions to these challenges. And it seems to be working. And when those ideas are applied to businesses and companies, you know, the sky is the limit. I love what you mentioned there about going deeper. I taught for a couple of years and that's always what we tried to preach was to go deeper, don't go wider with something because yeah, you can cover a lot of ground, but does that really do anything for you? So I think that's a great way to describe it. Even with we're talking about businesses and leadership, I think that's perfect. We are getting up against the clock, Dean. I appreciate everything you've brought to us. I just want to give you the floor here at the end. What would you offer up to any of those managers or executives who are listening in terms of leadership in terms of these boundaries, wherever you'd like to go with it to close out the show today. 
probably two things. One of those, we're talking about boundaries. We're talking about uh, crossing boundaries, busting boundaries, transcending boundaries. But what about your personal boundaries? Mm. The challenge for us or anybody in the exercise of leadership is to expand our boundaries, to expand our horizon, to uh, have the mental complexity, the global mindset, if you will, to be able to do this kind of work. You really, you know, with the old adage, kind of think globally, act locally, uh, you have to be able to do that. But what does think global mean? It means to understand systemic dynamics in that. In the larger world, it means to appreciate how culture reinforces patterns of meaning making and some of those patterns become maladaptive and needs to change. It's also about curiosity, curiosity about the other and this willingness to, to learn and explore and also to test and challenge your own assumptions. So expanding your personal boundaries is critical leadership work. The other aspect that I would encourage your listeners is the experimental nature of leadership. The old great man notion of leadership is fundamentally flawed because it puts all the burden of responsibility for solving problems on a single individual. And when they fail to deliver, we get rid of them. And that's what we're seeing in companies. The average tenure for a CEO is probably about three years. Mm. And we're seeing it in education. We're seeing it in politics. Nobody is that smart, that wise, that they can figure out what to do all the time. So you want to approach leadership as fundamentally an experimental process, conducting these experiments in parts of the organization or in parts of the social system and learning from this trial and error process. And as you make these discoveries, you're able to include it in your repertoire of, uh, of leadership strategies. So don't think of leadership as really the seven habits of what you've got to do and you just do those seven habits and away you go and you succeed. On the contrary, you're going to have to invent and create through experimentation, trial and error, and develop a set of practices that allow you to constantly be expanding your own boundaries and deepening your understanding as it pertains to a very complex, demanding, and even fractured world for which the traditional notions of leadership just do not work anymore. Dean, some very excellent stuff that you brought to us, some uh, interesting perspectives as well, hopefully allowing our listeners to look at things from a different angle. Again, some wonderful examples also that we can draw off of. So I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing with us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure talking with you, Tim. I wish you and your listeners well. Thanks. Unfortunately, that will do it for us here on Management Decisions and our conversation with Dean Williams. Again, he teaches over at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and he's also the author of Leadership for a Fractured World, brought us some excellent insight here today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com, or find us on Twitter at the LJN. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>